What is a spiritual awakening? You've probably heard of it, maybe as the result of Kundalini rising or through 12-step recovery circles. Maybe someone you know has described going through something in their lives that felt like a spiritual awakening. People use the term in a lot of different ways, but we all get that a spiritual awakening is something. But have you ever wondered why they even exist? And what is technically going on when one does happen? And do we have any part in making one happen? Spiritual awakenings are more than just cosmic accidents of human consciousness. They are a phenomenon written into the design of human spiritual development. And a spiritual awakening isn't always a big noticeable event on your journey. One can happen gradually, even over many years. Here's how it works. We have levels in our spirit that gradually open, and each one opening prepares us for the next. There's a reason why you don't really hear about kids having spiritual awakenings. The groundwork is still being laid during childhood. Once we are fully rational and have the ability to think for ourselves, then we're prepared. Prepared for the opening of our spiritual mind. Opening this level in our mind isn't like flicking on a light. It involves consciously fighting against what we'll call evils in our outer self that keep the deeper levels of our minds closed. And to do that, we need to be armed with truth and determination, two qualities that depend on and extend from our freedom and rationality. As anyone who's been through a spiritual awakening can tell you, it's not just a walk in the park. It's normal to go through a phase of deep confusion. One version of yourself is being dismantled and a new one is being developed. So yeah, you feel that. For this kind of major reconstruction to happen, things have to get shaken up and can seem very disorganized, but that's actually essential for this reordering. Things have to get thrown in the air for them to fall into place. Making use of the ability we have in our minds to observe our thoughts and feelings paves the way for spiritual awakenings to happen. When we evaluate our inner landscape for what is harmful and turn away from it, when we stop doing evil, it unclogs pathways in our mind, allowing the light of heaven to come in. Start doing this and bam, you've set the stage for a spiritual awakening. There are other aspects of spiritual awakenings you might be wondering about, like does a spiritual awakening mean you start seeing spirits and angels? Not necessarily. Check out these videos if you want to see more about that. If you're wondering what happens to your body during a spiritual awakening, check these ones out. And for the difference between having a spiritual experience versus a spiritual awakening, see our show, Modern Spiritual Experiences. But stick around to do a deep dive into how spiritual awakenings are part of being human, the role that a phase of deep confusion plays, and our part in it all. Spiritual awakenings are part of the design. You may be feeling like, ah, oh, I had this spiritual awakening. I'm not gonna tell my friends they're gonna make fun of me. Well, they shouldn't make fun of you because it's gonna happen to them at some point, hopefully. A spiritual awakening is a natural part of human development. It's not like we all go through the stages that we all agree on, childhood, adolescence, adulthood, and then there's this weird thing that's unconnected to that. The point of going through the stages we go through in life on the physical level is to prep us for these spiritual awakenings. This is the human journey. So there's these three levels of life in us that are designed to be opened consecutively throughout our lives. Swedenborg describes it this way, there are three levels of love and wisdom, and therefore there are three levels of life. Do you know what life is? It has to do with motivation and belief, these love and wisdom. The human mind is formed into areas that go with these levels. 
So somehow, if you could take a cross-section of the mind as he's talking about it, you would see that there's stuff waiting in there to go into these processes. These areas in us are opened one after the other. The lowest area of the mind, where there is the lowest level of life, is opened during childhood and adolescence by means of factual information. Okay, now we have a bit of a sense of, what are you talking about opening the mind? You see this happening in kids, that they're starting to understand, they're starting to know things. That's the opening of the first level. The second area of the mind, where there is a greater level of life, is opened during adolescence and early adulthood by means of thought that builds on factual information. Okay, so it's not just knowing things, now we can process things and go beyond them. The highest area of the mind, what's it going to be? It's got to be like you get, you, you get really smart, you get your PhD. The highest area of the mind, where there is the highest area of life, is opened during early adulthood, middle age, and beyond by means of perceiving both moral and spiritual truths. So you take this, this turn there. You think, okay, I'm getting smarter, I'm getting smarter, now I'm getting kinder. Now I'm getting more spiritual. That's the progression. So it's not necessarily that you have to go through that. You can continue to just develop in the trajectory of I'm going to sharpen and sharpen my rational mind. But if you don't bend it toward what we're meant to engage with the rational mind, this, these truths, the, the moral and the spiritual truths, you don't continue progressing. You, you, you stunt your growth. To recap that, here's a little chart. We, we had in childhood and adolescence, these, these are the levels. Childhood and adolescence, we have factual information. Adolescence and early adulthood, thoughts based on factual information. I don't know, were you thinking when you were an adolescent? <laughs> early adulthood, middle age, beyond perceiving moral and spiritual truths. So these are broad generalizations, and that third category covers a lot of ground, but the third level there, that is a spiritual awakening, opening up to those moral and spiritual truths. That is a spiritual awakening. I mean, that's the range of when they happen. So why? Why then? Why not? Why don't they just, who knows when they happen during your life? Because we have to be prepared for a spiritual awakening. Spiritual awakening, as we said, is part of the system like everything else in life. So everything in life that's complex takes preparation. I just was hatching these butterflies. Yeah, we were, our family was hatching these butterflies. And it's all about the preparation. Like the caterpillars have to go through this little preparation stage, and then they have to prepare to hook on and prepare for the chrysalis, then the chrysalis has to prepare, then you come out, it's all preparation. So it is with us and with our spiritual awakening. It doesn't just happen. This is what God is doing throughout life. Swedenborg talks about it further. Here he uses this term rebirth, but that's analogous to what we would now call spiritual awakening. Before we can be reborn, we have to be equipped with everything instrumental to be rebirthed. So you've got to pack your suitcase. What do we put in it? Good, joyful feelings. Well, who's going who's gonna to argue with that? Okay, I'll take an extra five pounds in my pack if it's good and joyful feelings. Serve the needs of our will. While truth from the Lord's Word, along with support and confirmation from other sources, serves our intellectual needs. And that's key. So you have a spiritual principle, but you've got to be old enough where you're not just, somebody told me that this is true, where you can think it over and where you can compare it and look at life and say, is this true? You've got to be able to have that process. Till we receive this preparation, we cannot be regenerated. We can't go to that third phase of opening. Those supplies are our food. That is why we cannot be regenerated before we reach adulthood. So there's these two elements. We just talked about the need for preparation, but there's also this need to develop 
the ability to judge things for ourselves. If we're going to spread our spiritual wings, we have to be able to think for ourselves. We have to have accepted things using our own rationality in freedom. So that, that maturity that we get to at some point is when freedom and rationality are really set, and that's what we need to undergo this spiritual awakening. That's how we open the third level of our mind. Otherwise, it just, again, if, if like a piece of fruit falls off of a tree and it's not ripe, the seeds aren't ready, they won't be able to sprout. We have to get there. So when do we reach that point? Swedenborg says in Secrets of Heaven, when people reach the age of 20, they start to think for themselves. It's debatable. What he's saying, though, is that around then, that's when we stop being dependent intellectually on other people and start to consult our own sense of rationality. And it's fascinating because he's really writing about these stages of development, about childhood psychological development. Before that was a field of study. Remember, this is 1700s. There, there wasn't what we have today. So let's look into what he says about that. Broadly put, spiritual awakenings happen between the ages of 20 and 60 because it's then that we're able to think for ourselves. There's actually four stages that we go through with the successive opening of each of these levels of our mind. We've got a chart here for you. The ages aren't exact, but this is what he says. So we begin life early childhood. Maybe you got some memories of it. Pretty fun time to be alive. Birth to the fifth year. The state that Swedenborg described us being in is what he calls ignorance and innocence. Innocence is, is an awesome thing to be around and see and observe and experience. But yeah, you don't know anything. You don't really know anything at all. And the phase he describes is that our behavior follows other people's instructions. Now, of course, kids don't, of that age often find joy in not doing what they're told. But, but overall, if you're looking at how the course of their life and the things they do, this is dictated by adults. Right? People are saying, look, you've got to be, you've got to go to the doctor. And they'll, they, they'll maybe fight about it a bit, but they do it in the end. Adolescence, fifth to 20th year, instruction received, knowledge acquired. So we get what people are saying about life, and we, we're starting to know things about life for ourselves. Our behavior is our own, then, and our intellect restrains us. So there's more of a sense of, and this is what adolescents are famous for, saying, like, don't, don't tell me what to do. I, this is how I want to do things. And this is, a good, this is a good, important part of development. But also, you do have this ability to be self-reflective. You know, in social situations are, are a famous example, which is, okay, I'm going to act a certain way that I know is, is a way that, that's going to get me what I want. So the intellect can restrain the behavior. Then you get the fun of adulthood, the 20th to the 60th year, which is understanding exists. I mean, we've developed this, this robust mental mechanism for navigating life, enough that you can like go and live on your own and care for yourselves. And there, because we have that understanding, look what he says about the phase. Our will pushes our intellect, and our intellect restrains our will. So once the muscle of the understanding is developed, then in providence, we can start to do battle against the negative things in ourselves. So you'll have, you know the way life should be lived, and your will is going to say, look, let's go do this and go do that. And it's up to us to say, we will do this, we won't do that, because now we're responsible for ourselves. So this is the phase of adulthood. And when you make it through that, what you can look forward to is old age, 60th year and onward, Swedenborg talks about wisdom and innocence within wisdom. 
that we're back, we've cycled back to innocence, but it's not innocence because we don't know anything. It's innocence because we've learned what is important and because we've had these awakenings through our struggles with the will and through our taking in of truth and goodness. So then our behavior is deliberate and purposeful. It's no longer that we're thrashing with desires we're talking about. Look, we know we're trying to follow goodness and truth and that's the intent behind what we're doing. So there is a general map of the stages of both physical and, in harmony with them, spiritual development. The Old Testament specifies that you had to be 20 years old to participate in the military, and you had to be 30 years old to be part of the priesthood. And interestingly, the priesthood, too, was called a military service. And it seems as there's a correlation between the fact that King David became king when he was 30, Jesus started his public ministry when he was 30. So you were not allowed into that kind of service before you were those ages because 20 and 30 are symbolic of the state when we're ready to take on strong internal opposition, when we're ready, as Swedenborg puts it, to use reason to dispel any falsity or evil. So this is not so much about our calendar age as it is about the tools that we have acquired so far. The Lord knows our hearts and minds, our state, and He's not going to expose us to spiritual situations in which we have a 0% chance of success because we're simply not ready, we're not equipped. Breaking down and building up. So we're talking about spiritual awakenings, and we talked about when, but how about the how? What do we got to do? I, I want to do it. What do we got to do to get there? To have a spiritual awakening, you have to have a spiritual crisis, or actually many spiritual crises, which may sound like bad news, but also you may have already been having them. I mean, don't we get crises pretty, pretty often in the journey of life? Why, though? Why has it got to have this element of difficulty in it? Well, uh, you're awakening to something new. This is a, both a breaking down of what's old and a building up process. We, it's because there's stuff in us that's got to that's gotta go. Not everything in our mind as we're growing up is compatible with this new life that we're trying to have. So throughout life, God's divine providence is what well, we're thinking about, wh whatever we think about, I've got to get this thing. I, I hope that person thought my joke was funny. Whereas God is looking at, how do we store up the necessary love in you? How do we store up the right true ideas in you? And we're all these life experiences that we're going through are this fertile ground for, the, for God to stick those things into us. But there's this other stuff we pick up along our way that actually blocks our progress. This is from Secrets of Heaven. There are two things in us that prevent us from becoming heavenly. One belongs to our intellectual side, the other to our volitional side. So two kinds of pollution. The intellectual one is the useless facts that we soak up in youth and early adulthood. No offense to the stuff that we're obsessed with then, but I just picture, you think about the kind of intellectual sidetracks, the stuff that can consume you that is pointing you away from the kind of life that God is looking to give you. This, this just sort of distraction, materialism or whatever else it is. The volitional ones, is the gratification is the gratification of our most cherished cravings. That's the other thing 
is because growing up through life, you've got some stuff that's compatible with a heavenly life. You care about people in certain ways. You want to do what's right. But there's other stuff in there that, that we love because it brings us joy, whatever kind of ego stuff is in there that we just don't want to get rid of because it's part of what makes us feel good in life. So both of these things, they block us from attaining these heavenly goals. They, they need to be shaken off first. And when they have been, then we can enter first into the light reflected by heavenly things. And finally, into heavenly light itself. Okay, sure, we've got this, we got this intellectual junk that we love. We've got this emotional junk that we love. But heavenly light, the world that we're being brought into, is so much better than that. So, um, you know, in the little glimpses of what I feel like I've seen of it, yeah, it's worth it. That's a much better zip code to go live in. So, how do we do it? In essence, like we mentioned in the intro, what is evil needs to be removed. That stuff needs to be removed. And it may sound like evil is a pretty harsh thing to say, but thinking about the, the Swedenborgian definition, evil, you could say, is when love of self, our own interests, are the highest priority. That what, what I want and what makes me feel good is more important than how I affect anyone or my impact on anybody. That that is the essence of all the harm we do to each other in the world and the harm that we do to ourselves because I want this thing without thinking about what it's really doing to us. All the thoughts and cravings that come with that totally recklessly self-centered mindset, which we all experience in little parts here and there as we were just talking about, those block the spiritual development and we have to overcome those because evil is loving our self-interest above others. It sets up this us versus them, which is the antithesis of the love your neighbor as yourself that is heaven. It also puts us against God because the nature of God is love for the whole human race. And the nature of heaven, that heavenly light, is this understanding that hey, it's not about competition and it's not about gratification or manipulating or using people or whatever it is. It's about love. The love is better than that. So we have to have that stuff relinquish control. It's this breaking down process, but it's also a building up process. Swedenborg talks about our mindsets as we go through life, like, like a home that we live in. This is why the house corresponds to the mind. This is why often in dreams, people will dream about new stories being added to their house when they're learning something new or something like that. So we have to have this first home taken down. We, we, we're outgrowing it. And then this new home, then we have to have somewhere new to live. So a new home has to be constructed in us. I'm not saying that you have to look back on your life and say, what an evil life I had or how, how useless that life was. It's, it's all important. Remember those stages. The first house is an important part of our development. But when we're ready to move on, when we're ready to move out of our parents' basement, we got to do it. We got to move on to better things. The process of being regenerated is a matter of restraining our flesh so that it does not control us and taming our old self and its cravings so that it does not rise up and destroy our intellectual faculty. This sort of process cannot be completed in a moment. It happens in stages, much the way we are conceived, carried in the womb, born and brought up. The traits of the flesh or the old self are embedded in us from the day we are born. They build the first home for our mind. 
Cravings live in that home like predatory animals in their den. At first, they live in the entryways. Then bit by bit, they move by stealth into levels of the house that are below ground. Later on, they go upstairs and make bedrooms for themselves there. This takes place gradually as we grow up from our childhood through youth to young adulthood. When we begin to have thoughts that come from our own understanding and perform actions that come from our own will. Surely everyone can see that the home that has been established in our mind to this point cannot be torn down in a single moment and a new home constructed in its place. First, the cravings have to be set to one side and new healthy desires for what is good and true need to be brought in to replace our unhealthy desires for what is evil and false. Unless one evil after another is taken away until their confederation is broken up, we cannot become a new person. So it's an intense process. You got like lions going upstairs and hanging out in the bedroom and you got houses being torn down. It's very normal for this to feel in us like a state or a phase of deep confusion. You think about what it's like when you have something like a tree falls on part of your house and you have to rebuild and or we have to live out it. It's, it's a tough thing to go through relocating. And to do that spiritually, you feel, maybe we're not even really aware of the ins and outs of the processes, but you feel that. You feel that in yourself. In, Sweden, in uh, Secrets of Heaven 848, Swedenborg says, Unless the earlier way of life is destroyed and this uncertainty takes hold, Spiritual seed cannot possibly be sown in us. Oh, so the uncertainty is not a byproduct. We need to get into an uncertain state. Why? Because only then do we let go enough to let new stuff grow, since there is no soil for it. When, when, you're all, when everything's going great and you're locked in on, this is how life is, I've got my home, I don't want to be interrupted, I don't want to change, God can't get in. But this disruption, when God knows that we can survive it, that's going to happen so that we can lead to something better. When disintegration of the prior life is complete, we are left with almost no idea of what is true or good. So it's not right away, oh, everything's great. We're, we're a little bit barren. We are so unsure that we scarcely know whether anything is true. This is the, that dark night of the soul. For instance, we can wonder whether we are capable of doing the good that charity urges or good works, as people call them, under our own power when the exercises of our powers involve a sense of merit. This is Swedenborg looking and saying, you know, you have sort of a moral crisis. Like, am I even a good person? Do, why am I even trying to do this spirituality stuff? Whatever your particular one is. Our minds are so cloudy and dark at this point that if someone says that people cannot do any good or earn any merit on their own or under their own power, that all good comes from the Lord and all the credit is the Lord's, we can only sit there stupefied. Like, what are you even talking about? This is, I used to live comfortably in this world where, yeah, okay, it was me and I was the main driver in the life. Now you're saying that God is the one doing it? What are you even talking about? How would that life even work? How do I square that with my moment-to-moment experience? It is the same with all other religious questions. Yeah, you're doing this searching process. Yet slowly, bit by bit, light begins to pierce the murk or darkness we live in. Because we go from just having sort of heard these things to you start to see the reality for yourself and it starts to open up as, oh, this is, this is actually a way that I can live. In Swedenborg's personal journal of spiritual experiences, 
we can read about some of these very intense phases he went through during his spiritual awakening of despair and grief and confusion and doubt. And he could also see what was happening behind the scenes because he could see these lower level and evil spirits that were throwing feelings of doubt at him and bringing up guilt trips and arguing against anything new he was learning and arguing with each other (laughs) and just throwing him into such darkness and confusion. And he learned by experience that the more he tried to uh, deal with this from his own understanding and try to figure it out, the worse it got. And so through this experience, he learned that he had to let this happen so that all his previous ways of understanding could be untied like knots one by one and be replaced by a new understanding that God was wanting to give him. He also had to face his own lower ego feelings and um, cravings because those had to be purged out of him in order for him to be able to receive these higher feelings of heavenly love. And so, uh, for instance, once he even had an angel warn him at the dinner table, don't overindulge your stomach. And Swedenborg saw this smoke coming out of his pores, collecting under the table and turning into worms that then caught on fire and exploded and disappeared. This was a depiction of a bodily level craving that had to be purged so that he could receive higher feelings. And he said this was very intense, but so worth it because it brought him uh, into this ability to receive so much more and thoughts and feelings that were so much better. So though it was hard and intense, it was an incredible gift. Providence and participation. Okay, so now that you know how much work spiritual awakening is, maybe you're saying, okay, never mind. I don't want to do it. Opting out. But I hate to say it, but it's going to happen. I mean, providence is going to make this happen. This is the Again, you don't have to participate, but this is something that's built into human development. Opportunities for spiritual awakenings are as sure as the sap rising in springtime. Actually, they correspond to that very thing. This is Secrets of Heaven 5115. When we are being reborn, spiritual life flows into us in the same way life carried by warmth from the sun flows into a sprouting tree. So it's just part of the life cycle, but we're not actually as as static and passive as a tree. We do actively participate in the spiritual growth thing. And the key element that allows these spiritual awakenings to happen is our ability to reflect on or witness ourselves. So our ability to look at ourselves and evaluate is actually key to this happening. This is Divine Providence 16. Our discernment, meaning our, our thinkingness, can be lifted up into heaven's light and see what is true or recognize it when we hear it, even while our love remains down below. Heaven's light being a spiritual thing that, that actually that all thinking happens by spiritual light of some kind. So we can get it, we can have these moments of clarity where we actually see things you know, as clearly as an angel sees them, even while our love remains down below. Even while, so, okay, we're not necessarily going to change who we are, but we get it. This means that we can be in heaven in our discernment and in hell in our love. And we cannot be denied this possibility because we cannot be deprived of the two abilities that make us human and distinguish us from the beasts. The two abilities that alone make our rebirth and salvation possible, 
namely our rationality and our freedom. So in a way, when you're looking at yourself and saying, oh, am I, am I just a mess or what? There's something good happening there. Because when you're really a mess, you don't even think you are. You think, Every, I'm, I'm pretty good. Don't, don't we know, like, in, I'm thinking of characters in movies and books, but there's people like this, people who are har- totally acting in harmful ways and seem oblivious to what they're doing. And we have that little elements of that in us. So actually, the ability to look and say, I can't do that. This is a problem. You think about the, the near-death experience and how people do their life reviews. Have you ever read those? It's always looking at how did your, effect, your actions affect other people. That ability to observe, this is spiritual. These are what enables us to look down from wisdom on our love below and therefore see our thoughts, intentions, and feelings, so the observer, to see what is evil and false and what is good and true in our life and our beliefs. If we could not recognize and admit these things in ourselves, we could not be remade. There has to be, we have to opt in, and for us to be able to opt in, we have to say, yeah, I'm willing to work on this, I'm willing to reject this line of thinking, which is great, by the way, because if you, when you develop that ability to scrutinize your own thinking, you can save yourself a lot of grief because you'll always have just these trains of useless thoughts, false thoughts coming into your mind. your, Your mind will say to you, what if this terrible thing happens? You're about to go on this trip. You're going to crash in your airplane and die on this trip. And then you go and it's fine. And then like, well, what about the next thing you do? Then it's going to happen. It's totally false. So be able to scrutinize that and say, that's no good. And when you get the urge to do something, knowing, wait, no, 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 I wouldn't want that someone to do that to me. I want to change. That's it. That's the ticket that we punch. So separating thoughts or actions from loving intentions is what turns them evil. That's what it is. When we're not, we don't care how we're affecting people. That's the root of this evil. And it's harmful. Evil is harmful. It's harmful to other people. It harms us too, because what what does it do? Blocks us from this spiritual awakening that will lead us out of the misery of of ego and materialism. Tying back to earlier in this show, our evils are lots of thoughts and beliefs and cravings that are in, but they're in the outer self. That's why we can look down from a place that's not enmeshed in that stuff and see this part of you that feels like, well, what, what should I do? That is, that is something from heaven. When we resist those, we begin to remove this veil in our mind or our spirit that blocks us from heaven. Swedenborg put it this way in his Doctrine of Life. So long as we do not shun evils as sins, the lusts of evils close up the interiors of our natural mind on the part of the will. They are as a thick veil there, a dark cloud beneath our spiritual mind, preventing it from being opened. But as soon as we shun evils as sins, then the Lord flows in from heaven, removes the veil, disperses the cloud, opens our spiritual mind, thus introduces us into heaven. Because if it just, if everything we do is unexamined, the unexamined life is not worth living. Somebody, it was a Socrates or somebody said that. Somebody very uh, smart said that. The unexamined life is not worth living. If we just, everything we could do, every, every action that we take, we just think, well, that's, I'm just doing it because it's normal and it's right. Because it's me. Then w- there's no way to, to change anything. That we got this veil over ourselves. But as soon as we're able to start to evaluate What's really going on here with me? What is that really doing? Rather than this knee-jerk kind of craving-oriented life, then you can start the process. And there's three core steps to turning our backs on these 
evils. Uh, Swedenborg describes it in True Christianity 348. He says that surrendering our self-will to God's will is the first step, turning to the Lord. So, to, and that's just the process of saying, hey, look, at, look, look back on my life. Not everything that I've wanted has been kind. I think about, yeah, like when I was in middle school or high school, there's times when I'm like, no, that I wanted to act that way, but looking at it now, that wasn't good. Learning the truth is the second step. He talks about learning truth from the Word because you have to have guiding principles. And the third step is to live by it because unless, you, unless all these other steps lead into, I'm acting differently now, it won't actually do the work of changing the mind. And if you want more about that process, check out our show, Two Steps to Awaken to God's Design. You'll find a lot more in there. There's a lot more in Swedenborg. We can get equipped with these truths to help us walk these steps and get that veil lifted. There's this interesting essential point Swedenborg makes, that the first of charity is to shun evil. First of charity meaning when genuine love for others really begins to take root in us. Our job is to stop doing what we understand is harmful. Then the Lord flows in with love. This idea is reflected in Isaiah chapter 1 with a certain nuance. There it's written, cease to do evil, learn to do good, which suggests there's a stopping of the evil action, then a progressive expansion of our ability to do good. So learning to live from love is a gradual process that has ups and downs. Swedenborg writes in Secrets of Heaven 9.35, regenerate people go back and forth between having no charity at one time, none, and some charity at another, not even a lot. This is clear to see because everyone, even a person reborn, has nothing but evil inside. All goodness is the Lord's alone. Since regenerate people have nothing but evil inside, they cannot help seesawing, living now in a kind of summer, in charity, and now in winter, no charity. These cycles exist to bring them into increasing perfection and so into increasing happiness. So these cycles are necessary for us to learn to do good. The takeaway is, don't feel bad if in your process of spiritual awakening, you don't feel loving all the time. Love flows in from the Lord, and our job is to not do evil. So even angels, regenerate people, spiritually awakened people, don't feel loving all the time. As long as we're taking care of not doing evil, the Lord is in charge and leading us to having love lead. This has certainly been a useful truth for me to remember in my life. Spiritual awakening, it could be you, it will be you. It's meant to be you. This is something that's built in to what it is to be a human being. And this is something that the divine is constantly preparing us for and moving us towards. And it's, it's worth it. I mean, the purpose of the spiritual awakening is to open you and me and everybody to heaven, to the state of mind called heaven right now. And this, the heaven is everything you think it would be. It's this peace and centeredness in your life. It's the growth that we're looking for. It's becoming who we really are becoming who we're meant to be. We did a whole show called How to Find Your True Self. The spiritual growth stuff, you can check that out if you want. The spiritual growth stuff is not about becoming some strange tangent or, or abandoning life for something esoteric and, and mystical. This is our true self. This is continuing the very progression that, that takes you from being a kid to an adolescent to an adult. This is the next phase and you can do it. It's not always going to be easy. As we were learning though, discomfort doesn't mean that we're not making progress. And Actually, it may really be a no pain, no gain situation where the stuff we're going through is just shaking up the, the mess enough that we're willing to say, look, uh, there's a new way to live here. 
and I'm, I'm going to be able to, I'm going to be free of this old clutter. You know, it, it's, it's still going to be there, but we're going to put in boxes in the attic so that we can go forward and live this new kind of life. And it could be that you're already farther along than you think. If you look back on your life, you might not say, oh yeah, June 21st was a spiritual awakening, but you might have had a gradual change throughout your life. Look at your priorities. How have your priorities changed? That is the heart of a spiritual awakening, is this new set of desires. And it's something that we can be doing right now. And Swedenborg, even though he talks about there's an afterlife where we continue to grow, this is something that's really good to do right now. But again, the whole thing is not pass, fail. God is saying, well, you had your chance. If there's some, for some reason we're impaired or inhibited while in this life from being able to make the kind of conscious choices to do this, the spiritual awakening can happen in the next life. This life will continue to be preparation. That's the heart of divine providence is to prepare us for this stuff because God is looking to have us do this awakening stuff. Because you know, if you, if you see somebody who's, who's trying to be good at something that you're good at and you know what it would take for them to get to the next level, or you love somebody and you know what's blocking them from being happy, some kind of self-doubt or some kind of dysfunction, you know, oh, if they just didn't have that. That's how God is feeling about us. No matter how good we are, it's like, oh, if you just could get past that, think of how happy you could be. So, of course, divine providence is going to be giving us every opportunity to do that. So, we can do it. Let's do it. And what do you get when you actually go through this process and have a spiritual awakening? Join us next week because we're going to learn all the signs and what they mean. So thanks for taking some time to look into this here. It's something we can all participate in. Let's go and examine ourselves, you know, examine what we're thinking, examine what we're feeling and what we can move on and do without. And let's continue to all work to wake up. Off the Left Eye is Curtis Childs, director, producer, and host. Karen Childs, writer, community manager, and host. Chelsea Odner, writer, production manager, and host. And Jonathan Rose, host and series editor of the NCE. Shada Sullivan is the voice you love in our narrations. Stuart Farmer is our technical director. Matthew Childs, our video art director. Our motion designers are Meng Jong and Jesse Johnson. Reed McArdle made our music. Devin Osblond is our production intern. Cara Dom is our Latin consultant extraordinaire, and Chris Dunn is our digital marketing magician. And you are our much-loved listener. And now you can journey with us all week. Every Monday's Swedenborg and Life episode, including this one, has a week's worth of content lined up to support you in your exploration of these life-changing ideas. All video content premieres at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time, and 7 p.m. Greenwich Mean Time on the Off the Left Eye YouTube, Facebook, and Simplecast channels. On Tuesdays, find us on social media or go to offtheleftye.com to get custom downloadable art paired with the week's topic to ground you through the week. On Wednesdays, join us to dig a little deeper into the week's topic with news from heaven. On Thursdays, we want to hear from you. We'll be sharing a new reflection question weekly on our community tab and social media channels. Then join us for Swedenborg Live on Fridays for our panel Q&A show. And listen every Sunday to the Inside Off the Left Eye podcast to always know what we're up to and what you can look forward to. If you want to help sustain Off the Left Eye's operations, consider becoming a monthly donor today. And right now, we have a matching gift challenge from a very generous donor couple where dollar for dollar up to $10,000 will be matched when you make a new or increased monthly donation. You can provide a direct gift or restrict it to our new Off the Left Eye endowment fund. Giving to the endowment fund is a great way to guarantee that your gifts live on to help Off the Left Eye forever. Go to otle.cosvox.com to become part of our essential community of donors. 
From all of us here at Off the Left Eye, we thank you.